Hi, welcome to What the Health, a different kind of podcast from the original Prevention Network at EHG Health. It's Joy Altamari here. In each episode, I'm going to be your host, and I'm going to welcome leaders from diverse fields to explore why women have such frustrating experiences with healthcare. And what can we really do to make real change? It's the only podcast that explores the full scope of these issues, and I hope in depth and from all angles, amplifying the voices of women whose interactions with the system has led them to exclaim, what the hell? So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Tonight's episode was recorded in front of a live audience on October 26, 2022. Enjoy. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Joy Altamari, Chief Revenue Officer at EG Health. I'm super excited for you guys to be here um, to our live recording of What the Health. What the Health is a podcast that we created because we really understand that women's health is very dynamic and it's not, it's multi-layered, right? And a lot of us have had experiences, I like to think of women's health should be comprehensive, meaning it should think about puberty all the way to menopause. And for some reason, a lot of things are just about reproduction or puberty or not yet menopause, but we're, writing, we're fighting for that to happen. And so what the health was created because it's really like how you feel when you go to the doctor and you have to give them your, your files again, have them call someone else, re-explain for the 10th time what's going on, or when you're trying to figure out what are these symptoms, am I perimenopausal, and you're trying to find information and no one can talk to you about it. So it's really the expression that we all feel when we're like, what is going on? What the health? And so we talk about it in each episode. We talk about the diversity that exists, exists within healthcare, particularly women's healthcare. We've had people talk about pink tax. We've had people talk about the impact of raising your children and having your parents. We've talked about the emotional connection um, to being the breadwinner and how that can have a dynamic in your household. And today we're going to talk about cultivating well-being in this culture that really centers on performance or what we're calling hustle culture. This culture that's like you can be ambitious, but then how do you, what's the impact versus the investment, right? And so we're super excited to have one of the best speakers, one of the best coaches, one of the best people I know, Randy Braun, join us. Um, Randy, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm going to give you the bio, but then yeah. you're going to tell us about yourself. So I'm going to give you your bio and then you'll tell us. Sure. Okay. So Randy Braun specializes with women leaders. Um, she's a certified executive coach and CEO of Something Major. She's also the author of something we're going to talk about in a second, because uh, I don't want to steal the thunder. Um, she's a salt Salt after thought leader, her insights on women leaderships, her insight on leader uh, women's leadership, thriving and work, thriving and working parenthood, and professional relationship building, and really around this idea of burnout have been featured in the Washington Post, Forbes, Parents Magazine, and the Chicago Tribune. We're super excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit, Randy, about your mom, your partner. What's going on? Yeah, absolutely. So I founded something major a few years ago to really help women who worked in demanding jobs feel like they could live and lead on purpose in both parts of their work life and their non-work life. Uh, the big exciting news that Joy was alluding to is that in March, I will be releasing a book called Something Major, The New Playbook for Women at Work. And we spent a lot of time in the book um, really diving deep into how we need to rethink productivity. The book is all about kind of questioning this old invisible playbook um, that we've all 
all been following these rules around and something's just not working for women leaders right. anymore. There's not enough of us. We're backsliding in every metric. Women aren't happy. And really looking at what we need to do holistically to make sure that women feel empowered to write a new playbook when it comes to their leadership, their fulfillment, and their longevity in the workplace. Yeah. And it's all rooted into this concept of women leaders is really kind of new in the sense of, uh, I like to start with the facts. So we know that until 1972, there were no female CEOs, right? So when we talk about hustle culture or productivity, positive productivity, we're going to introduce a new term in a second. It's because this is new for the society to see women working and, and achieving their ambition, because ambition, we've always been ambitious. But to see us achieving our ambition is new for this to help change, it's new for the world to actually recognize it. And I wouldn't say the world, probably more the US, because there's so many women leaders outside of the US, but in the United States of America, we look at some really significant and kind of mind-blowing data. The fact that for 17 years, the top-rated organizations were all led by, by, by men. That's a long time, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 1972 when the first female became CEO of, 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 uh, CEO of a company, uh, a Fortune 500 company, that was Catherine Graham, and that was the Washington Post. That was the first one, 1972. I wasn't born, but close to being born. <laughs> um, and then a few years later, we have Marianne Slander. She was the co-CEO with her husband, mm -hmm. a lot to unpack there, mm -hmm. uh, of Golden West Financial. But if we keep going, the first female of color to be named of a, C, of, of, of a Fortune 500 company wasn't until 1999. So there's so much going on, first of all, with that achievement, the process of going into the office, first of all, going to school, finishing school, being the top in the class, then getting the job, then doing the job. How do you talk to women about that, pro that part of the process, Randy? About getting the job yeah, and like doing Yeah, that whole preparation. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what happens when we get into mm -hmm. the job and we think about productivity, but, you know, so many of us are socialized with these good girl habits, and all the research shows that the, cur the curse of the good girl is real, and so for us to be successful in school and through university, we have to practice and really enmesh ourselves in a lot of habits that don't serve us in the work world. So this tendency to please, this tendency to go for extra credit, this tendency to help and not rock the boat or not be loud, I think every single one women in this room are listening, has a different origin story, a different lived experience. And but yet I look around and I see universally heads nodding about right. how women feel like they've internalized what it means to be a good girl. Unfortunately, being a good girl doesn't get us particularly far in the workplace. Yep. And um, I think that we fall into this false binary where, e where we're either a good girl or a rabble rouser. Um, and being a rabble rouser doesn't always feel very safe. Right. And so really thinking about how can we revisit those myths we have about perfectionism and overachieving so that we can give work our all, we can be a team player, but without completely losing ourselves, not just in the job, but a lot of the unpromotable work that we yeah. drown ourselves in. And I think that's also, like the point of giving ourselves permission means redefining it, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to be one or the other. You can be both, right? Because there's a lot of space in between to, I think the, the thing that's important for, that I remember as, you know, the, the, I tell this story to the team all the time, you know, there's an opportunity for you every moment to make a decision of how you want to be present. Particularly, I think as women, we think about it more and more than anybody else. And so this, these different boxes that I think have existed specifically in the corporate world, but also with your parents, when you get married, when you have children and how they then define how you should be, you feel like you can only be this one person. But the lovely thing about being a woman is that you can change your mind. 
I mean, you can change your mind. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I think that there's so much editing that we do about the different spaces that we move into. Yeah. And one of the greatest wishes that I have for women, and it's, it's tools that we talk about in the yeah. book as well, is how can we make decisions where we feel really confident about the version of ourselves we're bringing and putting forward. Yeah, I think that both, so we both have girls, young girls. I, my daughter just turned eight, your daughter is, is six and a half. Yes. So we think a lot about the world we're leaving to them, right? Oh. And, and then, what I'm modeling for yeah, her. Yeah, what we're modeling. What I mean, they echo it back to us often. <laughs> often. <laughs> and like, it can be in, horrifying. In the, in the moments where you're not ready, it just comes back in a very innocent voice. So you yeah. have to take it for what it is. But I think this concept that you're introducing in the book is something that we definitely want, I want my daughter to feel, which is we don't, hustle culture is what I think society has branded it. But it has this subtext that you have to always be pushing up. And that you're just thinking about giving more showing up, being present, leaning in. They sound bossy in nature. They sound like you have to do it. But you introduced a new phrase, which I love, performative productivity culture. Yes. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's something that, we, that, something that I talk about in the book, Something Major, the new playbook for women at work. This idea of we get very trapped and enmeshed in what I call a performative productivity culture. And what I mean when I say performative productivity culture is I'm talking about a set of workplace habits and norms where the performance of our commitment to the hustle culture is more important than the impact of our actual contribution. So I'm gonna explain that one more time because I see people laughing and nodding, right? It's a set of workplace habits and norms where our commitment to performing the hustle culture supersedes the impact of our actual work. And it looks like this. It looks like workplaces where we valorize sitting in meetings for six hours yep. instead of giving people <laughs> three hours of uninterrupted time to do the deep work that's going to move the needle on whatever was discussed in that meeting. Yeah. Um, where we're constantly available. And there are some studies that show that skilled office workers are only spending a third of their time doing actual work at work. The other two thirds are spent managing email, managing uh, meetings, and managing all of the little tasks that have us toggling back and forth between Slack, Teams, email, yeah. text. And that's horrifying. And it's creating more work. And I think women in particular yeah. feel so much pressure to prove their productivity. Um, and it's something that we have to start unhooking ourselves from because it's burning us out. And it's leaving a lot of our best ideas off the table. I would also add that like we're not just doing those things she's talking about. How many of you guys are mothers, partners? Like You're the chief executive officer of your home. So you're not just doing that. You're like planning the vacation. You're looking at the the Extra, extracurricular activity, schedule. You're caregiving for an elderly parent. Caregiving for an elderly parent. You are literally doing all the things that you, like I often say, I need a wife. I need a wife. I need a wife. I need a stay-at-home wife. Because we are doing all the things. People in my office, some of them are here, they know. I get in between 7.45 and 8.15 because that's when I do all of the things to arrange my life. Like, I have to have that every day because I'm the EA of my life. I don't have one of those. And so the burnout that we are experiencing with women is real. And I think it's, you know, I think about COVID. I told, I've told this story many times, so I'm sorry if you've heard it before. But at the beginning of COVID, um, I think you guys know I'm the only female executive at EAG Health. So I work with a bunch of men, which are, they're nice in general. They're very nice. Um, but they're all, their wives all stay at home, right? So COVID happened. And uh, 
we were on a call, you're speaking of these long calls that people have. So we were on one of those long calls, but it was meaningful because remember we were trying to figure out our business. We are really a retail business without people coming in, revenues in jeopardy, um, the chief revenue, like, you know, so these were, these were good, important conversations. <laughs> and we're in like the third hour of it, which I will say in a nice way, men and women make decisions differently and at a different pace. So we were in the third hour of this discussion and it's over, like now it's like 1.30. And I remember like someone brings, you know, we're new to Zoom. So we have these crazy backgrounds. No one does those anymore. But I see a hand enter the hologram and bring somebody food. And then I see in two minutes, another hand enter and bring somebody food. And then one particular member, his wife is very much like us. She's a boss, but she never brings him food, but she brought him tea. I said, like, tea, a hand in her with tea. And I was like, we are over. This call is over. I was like, this is done. I'm like, Because I don't have anyone to start I was like, somebody's too. wife is going to come to my house and bring me food. Because this is, this is the epitome of, the, of what's happening, right? We're doing it all. And when you're also working outside of the home, because it's really important work to do in the home for sure. But when you're also working outside of the home, it can be really, it can be exhausting. It could be really mentally, physically exhausting. And I think that you're hitting on on something that's really important, which is we have what I call these uh, macro culture forces, right? We're talking about systemic norms, but I think that we also need to focus on the micro culture that we create for ourselves. And so that's not to leave our society, our workplaces, our systems off the hook. It's just an acknowledgement that we are actually living through a time that I'm very bullish is going to be a moment of historic change. Yep. But we all have goals, hopes, dreams, stress that cannot wait for, for the sure. world to catch up with for us. Sure. And so I think we need to acknowledge some of the systemic things on the macro side of things. And my hope, and it's something that we talk about, um, Joy, you and me a lot, and it's something I write about a lot in the book, is, okay, what are the small shifts that we can start to take in creating a different microculture yep. in our lives when it comes to these beliefs we have around productivity and the impact that they have on our well-being because they're not advancing us. Correct, for sure. They're and not. I think to the point earlier, what are we modeling in the home? Because that creates that that culture that you're talking about that's not in the workplace. My daughter is seeing me, right? Do it all. Is that fair? No. I mean, in that example I gave you, I was like, the call is over. I totally got off the call. And then they were like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm totally okay, but I got to go make the dinner, fold the clothes, wipe some noses, do some homework. I can't, and I can tell you right now what we should do with that. All those people we were talking about on that call, I can tell you in two seconds what the solution is. I don't have time to sit back. There's this something that I heard, uh, what's Tony Robbins? I heard him say one time that if you lean back in a meeting, it brings all the power to you. And so when he, I read that, literally around this time in every call, I saw all these men leaning back. And I'm like, did they just read that too? It's like literally, so it's like, we have to understand to yourself, like what, are we, what you're saying is we have to not only blame ex external forces, but look inside and say, am I actually happy? Yeah. Am I working to a pace that's not productive for me mentally? It's not to, it's not, don't be ashamed of saying, yo, this is not working for me. And I need to make space for me and I need to model that for the people that I love and who are watching me. Yeah, and if I could add to that just one wrinkle, I think that this is a little controversial, but I think that there are a lot of ways where we actually procrastinate inside our commitment and addiction to productivity. And I'll give you a few examples that I see all the time in my coaching practice. When I'm talking about high-performing women procrastinating inside productivity. One, when we get overwhelmed by how busy we are, it is so much easier to go through and 
check, 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 check the to-do list to prove that we can get it all done rather than make the lifestyle change. And this is something that Dr. Ashley Willens at Harvard Business School has actually studied. Two is I think that we hide out sometimes in our productivity because it feels safer than confronting our perfectionism. And lastly, I see a lot of women really focused on staying so enmeshed in these commitments they have to productivity because the thought of figuring out what they want to do that would make them happier with their time is actually so overwhelming yep. that it just makes it easier to stay enmeshed. And before we know it, again, I'm not victim blaming, I'm not saying that we do bad things, but it's actually really complicated when we think about the microculture we're creating. And I just think that the awareness of some of these habits is something that can at least get us curious about thinking about, huh, are there different ways I want to spend my time? Are there different decisions I want to make about my relationship with productivity, and something we'll talk about later, something I think about a lot is, do we want to be productive or impactful? And we can talk more about that. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about it now. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> like I said. Yes, like we're actually going to talk about it now. So we know, I'm not going to dive into it. We are going to share with all of you guys, but there's mental, psychological, emotional, physical effects of burning out, of just, to your point, to your point, uh, that we have to be very cognizant of what we're actually, what is the performance and what is the impact? Are we getting, are we checking off the list so that we can say we achieved it or are we trying to be impactful in our lives? But I want to move quickly to what you just said. Like, what's the difference? How do we coach ourselves? How do we talk to ourselves? How do we manage our lives so that we can lead with impact? And that, that's actually much more fulfilling than just checking things off, yeah. trying to perform. Yeah, I remember um, coaching this woman. She was the executive director, which is the chief leadership role uh, in this institution of a museum. It was her dream job, and she got in seat a few weeks before the pandemic, and the pandemic shut the museum down. Mm. She's like, nobody taught me how to do this. And so in her stress, she comes to coaching and she says, I just need to figure out how to be more productive. There's too much on my plate. And I just said to her, I was like, you know, she's walking me through. There's not a minute of unused time in her day. And I just asked her, I was like, do you really want to be more productive or do you want to be more impactful? Mm -hmm. Because a product, the focus on productivity means we have to get it all done. Oftentimes we do it ourselves. And success is measured by completion of a list. When we're talking about being impactful, we get the things that matter most done. We're quick to problem solve and bring other people in to lighten the load. And we measure success not by completion, but by outcomes. And when we start to think about what would make my day impactful versus productive, the to-do list does not feel like handcuffs. It feels like a place where we can map out priorities. It feels like a place where we can brainstorm who else can help us. It is not our job to solve all of the problems at work, in our home, in the world, by ourselves. And so many of us feel like if we're not getting everything done on our to-do list, we're failing and we're missing the opportunities to actually be successful at the things that count most in the process. There's something that you said there that I want to ask everyone. When you look at your calendar and there's blocks of time that's open, do you feel anxious or relieved? Right. Most women feel anxious. Like, is there something I could, should be doing during that time? I'd love to give an answer right. to that. I personally block time off. It's called GSD, get shit done, every day. And I don't feel guilty about it. I have to have it. And sometimes it's just to go pee or to go walk outside. But that is something I learned three, four years ago, that having a full day doesn't mean I'm impacting or even being productive. It means I'm giving less of myself in those meetings because I'm just thinking about the next meeting. 
I mean, and we've talked about this before, Joy. I, I think that like when we're fighting for time to pee, something is it's in, off. It's inherently <laughs> broken, like on so many levels. You've heard me say this before. Yeah. And it's like when I look around, because even by the way, coaches, I'm human too. Sometimes I have a day that gets away from yeah. me. When I look around at my desk and it looks like a kind bar graveyard, that is how I know my day has gone yes. to hell and I am after yes. it. Yes. Um, but one of the things, you know, my area of expertise is working with women in really demanding, unpredictable jobs. And so one of the things that I often design with my clients is, okay. We know the only thing predictable about your job is the unpredictability. So we know there's going to be a fire. We don't know when, we don't know where, and we don't know who's going to be involved in the firefighting production to put it out. However, what would happen if we could put 90 minutes or even two hours on the calendar every single day that we call a firefighting block or a flex block or an agility block. Does this mean that when the if your block is at two, that if the fire blows up at nine, you get to say, hey, CEO, you know, my firefighting block is in five hours, I'll get back <laughs> to you. No, but it's about having the wiggle room on your calendar so that the 10 a.m. meeting that you scheduled can uh, that you canceled can be rescheduled. So that the lunch or the GSD block that you were gonna take can still happen without having to work till six or nine yeah or midnight, so really like predicting that the unpredictable will happen and giving yourself permission to build that into your work day, yes. just setting ourselves up for success. I think what we're talking about is really uh, solutioning and prioritizing well-being, we, that's the word, but we're talking about prioritizing ourselves. So we're gonna get into the solution part of the conversation. Love it. Because we don't wanna just complain, we don't wanna just vent, we have to, it's healthy, every therapist will tell you. You have to go yell or scream or cry or complain, do that first. There's a time and place for that, but then you gotta get on a plan, right? And so let's start talking about some of the things that, that we both have chatted a lot about, but what you really share with women executives, what are the things that they can do to prioritize themselves amidst, amidst this culture? Yeah, absolutely. And so we talked a little bit about thinking about a productive versus impactful mindset. You can't tell I'm very pro-impactful. <laughs> we talked a little about creating these flex blocks. Um, another thing that we should talk about is this idea of time confetti. Is anyone here familiar with this term? So time confetti is this really radical idea that um, it's not that we don't have enough leisure time. I think all of us wish that we had more. But actually what researchers have found is that especially as busy women, we shred the limited amounts of free time we have into tiny little pieces of confetti. And if I could walk you through, this yeah. is a little bit of what it looks like. Let's say you you know, have an hour of leisure time, right, after the day wraps up. Um, and you go to sit down on the couch and read your favorite book, turn on your favorite show, maybe to do a workout. And a few minutes in, you pick up your phone because you hear it buzz and you see a text, you put it down. 10 minutes later, you see an email, it doesn't require a response. Five minutes later, you get another email and they just want to know, Joy, if you're going to be there at the 9 a.m. No, meeting tomorrow. I'm not. But she doesn't want to leave them hanging. So she tells them, hey, no, I'm not going to be there. Um, and while she's already in her inbox, she responds to the text. She responds to the other email. And before we know it, over the course of that hour, maybe you've only picked up your phone 30 seconds here or sent a tweet or checked Instagram 30 seconds there. But it can actually add up to, you know, like, let's say six minutes. Well, if you had an hour of leisure time, that is literally 10% of your free time. You just gave up to mindless multitasking. In addition to diminishing the quality of time, uh, pardon me, the quantity of time, you've also now diminished the quality of time. And so thinking about where we are bringing this uber productivity, like must multitask all the time kind of mindset, I think making sure that we're avoiding time mm -hmm. confetti is a huge thing. And then if, lastly, if there's just one more thing that I could add, I love this idea of making lists of things that we're just not gonna do. Yep. 
And so, right? So making a commitment to where you're going to say no and really also bringing other people to be your accountability partner. So maybe it's a direct report. Um, You know, I have someone on my team who holds me accountable to the things that I'm going to say no to. Maybe it's a partner. My husband's a huge gut check for me on that. Yeah. I like to say no. We have it all over our house in little post-its everywhere. Say no. If you have a young child, particularly a girl, if you have young mentees that you are mentoring, this is a really good, I would say, takeaway to give them because learning to say no early in life will help you. We And it can backfire if your eight-year-old says, I'm, like with the phrase is, we say no. So she'll say, we say no. <laughs> and I'll be like, not to broccoli. You can't say no to broccoli. But she'll say, literally, you know what? We say no. I don't want to do that extracurricular activity anymore. I know that I committed to it. I'll finish this season. But we say no. We're not doing it anymore. That's super empowering for an eight-year-old to be able to do that. And so we want to model that behavior. So to model it, you have to do it. You have to say it. You have to show the people in your life. And I think it's more respected, too, when you're saying no to the person. Like, hey, I say no to that, and this is why. So don't ask again. It's not negotiable. I say no. Or one of my favorite ways to say no actually comes from improv comedy, which is, does anyone know what the golden rule of improv is? Yes. No. It's yes, yes and. and. Yeah. It's yes and. Um, and one of my favorite ways to say no to something is to say yes and. So yes, I'd love to help you with that. And that means we're going to have to de- deprioritize this. Yes, I'd love to help you with that. And I will have a chance to get to that next week. That's very clever. So um, I think that when we, we need to think about <laughs> ways that we feel do comfortable. Do not say to me anyone on my team. Yeah. I don't want to hear. Yeah, no. Yes, I'd love to do that, Joy, and it's going to so happen next week. The way that the chapters work in my book is we have a chapter on productivity, a chapter on boundaries, and a chapter on well-being. And these things all build on themselves. If, if I can share about yeah, the cost totally. of these things, um, I think one of the things that's the most frightening to me is the way that we misjudge what we can handle. And so there's a story I tell in the book that I actually really hadn't shared publicly before that, which was that early in the pandemic, um, you know, I had taken my business full time, not much before the world shut down. I was parenting two children at the time under three. I thought I had my pandemic exhaustion under control. I went out in the middle of the afternoon on a Friday and um, at a red light, I fell asleep at the wheel of my car. Um, I crossed six lanes of traffic in one of Washington, D.C.'s biggest intersections, two main thoroughfares, and in an on-ramp to a highway tunnel. And I only woke up to the honks of the few other cars wow. that were on the road. And literally, like, I do women's leadership and, and for my business. And so the feelings that I had of the fear that I had misjudged my own exhaustion, the shame yeah. of how could this happen to me, um, it's so intense and I really am a huge believer for, yes, I think working with a coach is, can be helpful. I'm also a huge believer in therapy. Yes. I'm also a huge believer in watching out for the physical signs yep. and making sure, do I know that this is something that EAHE yep. is so passionate about is making sure that we have a really holistic approach to health and well-being. Um, we misjudge it and that was a really life or death moment for, for me. Sure. For and sure. I, I can't tell you I flipped a switch, but I can tell you that it, it got me really reevaluating with myself, um, what are the physical symptoms that I'm missing if my brain is tricking me and white knuckling through? So I've, I've certainly made a lot of changes yeah. since We're then. So it's been three years. Honest. You're good. I it mean, was very overwhelming yeah. and frightening. I think you're right, EHE. We definitely promote that. We want everyone to get their preventive exam. It's not just about, you know, your, it is, your blood work is important, but we also want that hour with the doctor to dive deeper into what's going on. You know, depression is... Depression is often found through discussion. 
Like people don't realize that. It's like there you could do all the tasks, we have them, but it's that hour with the doctor to understand, you know, my grand, my parents just moved in with us as well. My husband's parents just moved in with us. My my triplet boys are dating. Like <laughs> there's so many reasons that you can be having anxiety or depression and it comes I always say depression is uncovered through discussion. And this is like the point of this entire podcast to discuss these things. Um, I, I, we're, it's so crazy. We did 30 minutes. The time is up. But um, I think what we want to do is leave you with one thing, which is the crux, I think, of it is, is, you know, there's a lot of pressure. We put it on ourselves. Society puts it on ourselves, our loved ones. You have to protect your energy. You know, I personally, Randy knows this, every morning I get up and I have 30 minutes to myself, no one else, and it's protected. When I get home, I don't check emails. I don't do work. It's protected. You have to figure out the things... And I know that there's privilege with my position that I can do that, so I acknowledge that. I wasn't like this in 20. I broke two molars when I was 24 because I was not protecting my energy because I was stressed out about getting a report out on time, which makes no sense. But what I learned through that entire process in the last 20-plus years is protecting your energy is super important. Taking the time to find people that you can talk to or taking the time to yourself is better than anything you can do. It's like what they say on the airplane, you have to put it on, the mask on first before you put on anyone else. If you're not well, you can't help anyone. So for, we uh, want to at least leave you with that's important for you to do. Whatever that looks like for you, make sure you figure that out soon so that you can enjoy that. It's not a task that you feel pressure on, but I would encourage you to figure it out soon because this thing you figure it out for yourself, really, it, it, it's like bountiful, bountiful. I want to thank Randy Braun for joining us today on What the Health. Um, and uh, is there anything you want to leave these guys with that I didn't mention? Yeah, I mean, the one thing, you know, we talked about the macro and the micro. I really want to just encourage you to think about one choice a day that you're going to make to feel more in control of your well-being, to feel more in control of your time, and to be more conscious about unhooking yourself from the performative productivity culture. And if you're in a position of leadership, to think about ways that you can shift that from your team. So I'd love to answer questions if yeah. people have that. If, yeah, or, before we do that, is there? can you tell people how they can find you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn as Randy Braun. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Something Major Coaching. Um, or you can get all the details about my book and when it'll be dropping on somethingmajorcoaching.com. Yes, perfect. And so we want to thank you guys again to, for joining What the Health, and we'll see you next time. Hi, it's Joy Altamara here, host of What the Health. Thank you for listening this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you like what you heard and you subscribe, spread the word, and give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel for video of every episode, plus lots of other useful content. For more information about what EHE Health and Preventive Health are all about, visit us at ehe.health. Until next time, what the health?